With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Radio. and baseball fans everywhere. My name is Michael Acolant, also known as the Brooklyn Trolley Blogger. And on behalf of my partners, I welcome you to a Metsian podcast. I'm a little dumbfounded, folks. I'm sure you're still watching. Thank you for tuning in. And hopefully a lot of, a lot of you are, uh, you know, multitasking at this very moment. You've seen it. I've seen it. We're still watching it. I think according to law, we're not allowed to give you a play-by-play, but we'll keep you informed. Lots to get into. Let me hurry up and bring on my partner. Sam will join us a little later in the show, but at the moment, we have one of my co-conspirators, excuse me, co-conspirators in podcast, podcasting crime, and that's Rich Sparago Helen from Connecticut. Hello, my friend. Hey, Mike. Um, I think we've all had better days, but uh, but okay. How are you? Yeah, this is crazy. Outside of what's going on on the field in the Bronx at the present moment, everything is going well. Uh, next up, a longtime friend of the show. Uh, it, it's been too long since we've had her on. Uh, she's a wild one, you know. <laughs> don't get in her way. And say excuse me if you do. Terry Cooper, everybody, a.k.a. The Coop. How you been, friend? Oh, I'm, you know, I'm just hanging in there like everyone else and uh, trying to make sense of this weird-ass year and weird-ass baseball season and weird-ass weekend with the Mets and Yankees because never a dull moment in a Subway series, even though I claim to hate it a lot. But um, the game is at least getting a little interesting, so I don't know. (laughs) We'll we'll see where it goes. I, I have it on as background noise right now. Well, take another moment because, you know, we haven't spoken to you in so long. How'd you make it through the pandemic? How are you still making it through the pandemic? And what are you doing and where are you doing it at? Well, um, thanks for asking. Um, I hope I, I I get the sense that everybody, you know, here has has done well. Um, You know, my my family's in Jersey. Ed and I are both essential workers. Um, So it's almost as if, uh, it's, you know, light, you know, business as usual with us, um, except, you know, we live in the heart of New York City and everything is, you know, still, you can still tell that there's just, you know, shops closed, shops slowly reopening, outdoor dining, uh, you know, all the, all the crazy stuff that I'm sure is happening wherever uh, everyone else is, um, you know, so far, um you know, we haven't gotten sick. We haven't known anyone. Well, I shouldn't say we haven't known anyone. Like the people that we know have, you know, 
been affected by uh, the coronavirus, they've, you know, recovered nicely or, you know, still having, I know, you know, I think that some of us on here have had family members that were afflicted by it. Um, you know, other than that, um, you know, it's just, it's from like such a first world point of view, first world problem point of view that I, I'm sitting here watching the Mets and I'm really just disengaged with the season um, because we're, you know, we're not going to games. We're not going out. We're not being social. Um, you know, I, I was supposed to go to two concerts this summer. They obviously didn't happen. It's just like, you know, so much of this like cognitive dissonance, like as I'm sitting here watching this game unfold, I'm like, is this really even happening? Is this a real game? <laughs> you, know, does, you know, and I even asked a few months ago, does spring even exist if baseball isn't played? Um, but um, yeah, you know, I, I think we're all just kind of compartmentalizing things differently and, you know, hoping that 2021 is, is a little bit better. <laughs> all right, folks. Let's uh, talk Mets baseball. Coop uh, and, and Rich, let's make pitching a standalone subject for a second. Uh, Coop, you know, pandemic aside, had I texted you in April and said, Michael Walker, Dave Patterson, uh, Peterson, Gisellman, Rich Porcello, and Seth Lugo were going to be your starting five, which each <laughs> has started one of the last five games against the Yankees. Uh, you probably would have bugged out. That's where we are. Steven Max, not only is he, has he been bad, he's now on the IL. So I know you have things to get off your chest regarding the uh, starting rotation. Take it away. Oh, um, you know, I, I think I was just angrier before, but now I'm kind of like going through, you know, the five stages of grief. Uh, you know, where I have, like, anger, and now there's, like, denial and bargaining and all that. And, you know, now I, I might be getting more acceptance. And it's funny how this these games today have kind of brought me full circle. Um, but as you said, um, you know, that, that starting five, you know, the starting five for this series specifically, um, you know, you're right. I, I probably would have bugged out. I probably would have been like, where the hell is DeGrom in a five-game series? But, of course, you know, these are not normal times. We had a weekend series with – two double headers, um, you know, five games being played in three days. It's, it's kind of insane. Um, but that said, um, it, you know, it, it's just the first game today specifically kind of just made me think like the Mets, and I feel like Mets fans in general were sort of brainwashed into thinking the pitching will save us from all of our ills. And, you know, I know that you guys have, you know, are, are kind of like a generation Actually, I think we are of the same generation, but we have different memories of the generation. But, you know, like being Mets fans of similar teams, I feel like this is just something that's been pumped in our heads since the days of, like, Seaver and Kuzman is that, yeah, the te- rest of the team sucks, but the pitching is so great. It's really going to elevate them, and the game throw is going to be close, and blah, 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 blah. And I feel like that was kind of like what we've been kind of brainwashed into thinking this year. You know, it's like, okay, Syndergaard's out for the season, yeah, but – now we have we have Degrom, you know the the two years in a row consecutive Cy Young Award winner. He seems when he's out there, you're just like, all right, this is the guy. He's unbeatable. Like we always are in a better chance winning when he starts. Of course, you know the bullpen begs to differ, but that's beside the point. And then we have Stephen Matt, who I'm just convinced is Jonathan Meese, that's a cool grandpa. Everybody makes excuses for this guy, and he's not good. You know, he's okay. He's an okay pitcher to have. 
And then there's the rest of the crap that they throw to the wall and see if it sticks. But I, I think today was just a good example of, you know, in one, on one hand, I'm a little pissed off at, at Rojas. And uh, the game is over, by the way. <laughs> I'm a little, like, pissed off at Rojas that he's still just, like, death and taxes. We have a, another Mets manager who has no idea to um, run a, a, a pitching staff or a bullpen. He has no idea how to maximize that. We have Lugo making a spot start today, and he he gets killed. And it's just <sighs> – I, I feel like, in a way, we've been gaslit to an extent about the pitching staff, and I'm kind of just getting to the point where it's like, besides DeGrom, what the fuck else do we have? Nothing. We got a big <laughs> fucking goose egg. And and that's, you know, kind of like where I am right now. I mean, look at this. I, I, and I'm looking at the line. I'm, I'm just like, I'm infuriated. The Yankees throw this guy out there, Garcia, making, and he's amazing. That shit doesn't happen with us. You know, the Mets go against a, a guy who's never made a start before and the scouting sucks or whatever. I'm just, I'm infuriated by, by the pitching right now. And I, I think Rich should take it away because I'll probably spend like the next 50 something minutes talking about it. I mean, Rich, the rotation is in a, is in a bind. Seth Lugo, what, he goes, what, three innings today? Now, I mean, Coop brings up all the points. We have injuries. Matt's on the D, on the IL. Excuse me. There's no Stroman. There's no Syndergaard. Uh, and depth has been depleted. Our depth is now our starting rotation. So the fact that we played five games in three days, you have to go there. But I think this decision to either put Seth Lugo in the starting rotation or leave him in the bullpen, the truth will be revealed when and if Steven Matz is healthy again and available for the starting rotation, and, Lu- and Seth Lugo continues to make consecutive starts. So observations on the starting rotation before we move on. Well, you know, to a degree, the starting rotation is a function of things that are out of the Mets' control. You know, you, you thought Cindergard, you, you had no idea Cindergard was going to need TJ in spring training. You had no idea that we would have a pandemic and Stroman would choose as he has the right to, you know, to opt out. So so to a degree it's uncontrollable, but to a degree it is controllable because so there are times you don't have a choice like those things, but there are times when you do. And the Mets made the choice in the off season to backfill, to, to achieve rotation depth with Waka and Porcello. That was a choice. They didn't have to do that. It's what they did. Well, that choice is coming home to roost now. Waka hasn't been good. Porcello hasn't been good. Porcello was decent today. He absolutely was. But when you when you sign a guy who had the highest DRA among qualifying starters in 2019, and then you get the kind of performance you're getting, do you have a right to be surprised by that? I, I mean, you know, this is what you get what you pay for. So this was a choice they made. The choices they made were very poor. You know, they chose to go on the cheap and get two guys who, you know, the common line about Waka is, well, he was a 2013 NLCS um, MVP, you know, wink, wink, nod, nod, right? That's the common sarcastic thing about Waka. And that's so true. Seven years ago, the guy was great. But, and Porcello, four years ago, he won the Cy Young in the American League. 
but but these guys when you sign them they were on the they were clearly on the downslope and and so anyway that's what i'm saying is the choices they made were not good ones and now you have to deal with those choices and you're seeing it i was never a fan of putting lugo in the rotation for any reason ever because if you heard the first game post game show since Lugo was made a starter, they've had three save situations. They've blown all three. Now, I mean, they won the game against the Marlins. That's true. But the other two games they lost. And so those two wins will look pretty nice right now. So what you did was you severely weakened your bullpen. As Gary said, you robbed Peter to pay Paul. They've had to make these choices because of, of the fact that they didn't stockpile quality major league starting pitching depth. It's just what they did not do is coming home to roost. And so now what you have is DeGrom. And like Coop said, you've got DeGrom. And, and really, and I don't mean this as human beings, I mean this is baseball players, a pile of garbage after that. You've got a, a bunch of nothing after DeGrom. And like I said, I'll wrap it up here. To a degree, shit out of their control. Stroman. Syndergaard. To a degree, very much in their control, Waka Porcello and the choice to make Lugo a starter, and you get you reap what you sow. That's, that's my point. Woohoo! It's official. The Mets lose game two of today's twin bill, 5-2. to two. Mets lose the series three games against two. So let's talk Subway Series. We're going to throw this around. Go wherever you'd like. Bring up whatever you please, and we'll bounce that off each other. I, I looked at this series somewhat as I did the Marlins. A time to get healthy. The Yankees were down. They were on a seven, well, including the first two games against the Mets, but they were on a losing streak. No Stanton. No Judge. They were missing O'Shella for the first doubleheader. Uh, Gary Sanchez has been out of the lineup. You know, and we faced pitchers the likes of Jordan Montgomery and Chad Green and Jonathan Loaiza and, 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 and well, Jay Happ is, is very good. I'll leave him out. But we faced Michael King and, and Brooks Christie, uh, you know, and, and today rookie uh, Debbie Garcia. And, you know, especially today we make this rookie look like Cy Young. Mets have a terrible history of doing that. You know, so they didn't get fat against the Yankees like they could have. Not the way they should have, but the way they could have. They win the doubleheader on Friday. They lose Saturday ponderously on a wild pitch. And then today's twin bill. Edwin Diaz obviously blows his fourth game of the season. I'm not patting myself on the back, but I was tweeting for Messian Podcast this afternoon. And I called it. I was like, a three-run home run ties this game. Here comes Diaz, like clockwork. And sure enough, one thing leads to another. Tie ball game. Uh, ponderous. So those are those are the comments I'll start with. Like I said, we'll take a couple around a couple of trips around the table. So, Coop, the Subway Series, Swipey Metro card, go. Uh, all right. Well. I feel like with the contact games in the past three days, and as my husband just said, it was lost three games in 28 hours. And if that's not Mets, I don't know what is. But I feel like 
instead of looking at, you know, five games in three days, you kind of need to look at the previous week leading up to this and just the emotional roller coaster that it is being a Mets fan. Um, I mean, prior to the previous weekend when they were, you know, they were in Miami, we had a COVID diagnosis, they had to shut things down, didn't play for a couple days, blah, 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 right? Weren't the Mets on a roll going into COVID, you know, going into that? And then they they get the COVID diagnosis, and I'm just like, you know what, I'm just going to blame COVID because it just seems like when they finally start getting into a groove, and I realize in a 60-game season, okay, I feel like we're kind of looking at it the wrong way. The way it's been kind of presented to us is like, the first 30 and the next 30, but I think we kind of need to look at it 20 games, 20 games, 20 games, to look at it in a third. Because if you think about it, and I'm sorry, I will get to the point. We will get to the Subway Series eventually. This is just the way that my mind works, okay? So if we're looking at the season in 2020, um, you know, 60 games total, that 20 games is essentially what the most amount of games that a team could play potentially in a playoff. So, like, if somebody wins a wild card, you got your wild card game. You've got five games that could go to the, the divisional series. You've got seven games in the championship series, and you've got seven games in the World Series. So that's 20 games that a, one team could potentially play, understand? So it's kind of like you have to look at these, like, like playoff series, right? So, of course, the Mets would have not done well, <laughs> right? But, you know, we're looking at, you know, in a 20-game span, you know, that we've got – Ed, help me out here. How many games did we play this week in total? 34. No, 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 this week. From from Tuesday to now. Uh, I can say so since we spoke <laughs> last Sunday, we played eight games. Eight games, Okay. So we've got eight games, which, you know, out of 20, you know, that's just a, a, a like a playoff series. You know what I mean? So we're getting to the Subway Series, all right? And I feel like, once again, Mets fans make a big deal about the Subway Series. They probably make a big deal more about it than they should. And this is like, I feel like, once again, we're being gaslit about how important the Subway Series is and how they're, you know, going to – how it's all going to kind of bear out there. So things were looking up Friday, weren't they? It's like, you know, Thursday night, they had this brand, this big statement, walking off the game, walking off the field, not playing the game, Black Lives Matter. We had Dom Smith. We had like this multicultural thing. We've had Steve Gelb, like with choking back tears and, and Gary Cohen just, letting the moment speak for itself. And it was just this wonderful, I I had people that I didn't even know knew who the Mets were like talking about this. And it was like, this is gonna build momentum and the team's really going to come together. And it looked like that was going to happen on Friday, but leave it to the Mets to fuck us over in a 28 hour span uh, between Saturday and today's two games. Um, it's really discouraging, especially when we still have people who are downplaying the importance of the subway series. And that's what I think it it kills us because it's not even just beating the Yankees. 
which is always kind of fun to see. Like, it's always fun to see the Mets, like the little brother beating up on the big brother. Like, that's always fun. But we also faced a Yankee team that was on the decline. You know, Mike, Mike mentioned it. I think everybody's talking about it on Twitter. It was a, a judgeless, dantonless. Um, they, they were decimated with injuries. And they throw a bunch of shit to the wall, and they still manage to take the series. I just don't understand it. It was a very winnable series. And on top of that, we didn't even have, like, the Cole DeGrom matchup that everybody's been talking about. You know what I mean? Like, oh, we need to have the best pitchers in New York pitching against each other. Like, and yeah, right. Like, like we would have won that fucking game because we don't win DeGrom starts. Um, so that's kind of where I am with – just this entire last week and change when the first game was postponed in Miami due to COVID. And then we went into the whole weekend, we missed a bunch of games and then we come come into this week at city field and they played Miami. And it just looked like things were kind of like perking up again. And then here comes the shit. It's that's kind of where I am right now. <laughs> the anger part of grief. <laughs> yeah, we'll come back. We'll come back around. Rich, you take it where you will. I just like to throw out two things, just logs on the fire. I'm going to discount Ahmed Rosario's home run off of uh, off of Araldis Chapman. It was Chapman's third appearance of the season, uh, and there was a hanging slider just begging to be hit out of a ballpark. Ahmed did it. I'll give him that. But uh, I'm cheapening it, as you can see. That, and I'll ask you this question. Uh, Saturday's game, Della Potensis, that wild pitch that lost the game. Wilson Ramos touched it. Should he have caught it? Rich. Wilson Ramos should do a lot of things he doesn't do. Um, (laughs) Wilson Ramos... I mean, you know, I know we had a home run off the the fair pole, as Warner Wolf would say. Um, you know, yesterday to tie the game, fine. I know he had a nice base hit in the first game today, fine. But in general, Wilson Ramos is an absolute abomination defensively behind the plate. Doesn't frame well. He doesn't move well after balls in the dirt. The tags, I mean, if you think the tag on Roman Quinn was an anomaly, did you watch the one that ended the game today? Uh, ended game one. Did we, did Rich? We lose Rich? All right. We still got you, Coop. Yeah. I'm happy to pick up with, with Wilson Ramos because um, when I, when that whole thing unfolded, I, I said, you know, here comes Wilson Ramos with that Ole bullshit, you know, from uh, Roger Dorn. And um, oh, hold on, uh, my my research assistant is actually flashing something for her. But I did say, you know, uh, that this is like that Ole bullshit with uh, Roger Dorn. Um, so Ed actually said uh, earlier today that this is the second time this season Conforto gets it to Ramos before the runner starts his slide, second time the runner scores to give his team the win. Um and this has been a long season, and it's happened already. Um, I, I just – I really don't understand how the Mets with their pitching-rich franchise 
still manage to just screw up the catching situation. Like they do realize that they'll have a lot of pass balls without a catcher, right? <laughs> and we've just, we've never had, I mean, besides like Gary Carter, even Mike Piazza, Mike Piazza was not known for his defense. You know what I mean? You know, we had two Hall of Fame catchers play on the team who, you know, easily went into decline when they were there. So now now we've got Ramos, and it's like, oh, but he's so much better on defense, is he? No. <laughs> no. And, you know, the, the time, they actually flashed his, uh, his stats up in that last at bat, and it, he, it looked like that was the type of guy that you want up in a situation like that. And he ends the game. So, um, yeah, Wilson Ramos, talk about something else, man. <laughs> can you hear hey, me now, Mike? I, yes, I can. Hey, Rich. I have no idea what happened. And I was making the same point that you made, Coop, is that if you think that it was an anomaly today on the bad tag attempt on Frazier at the plate to end game one, look at the Roman Quinn play a couple weeks ago. Um, it was the same thing. This is a veteran catcher who is very bad on balls in the dirt, can't throw anybody out, can't make a tag at the plate, and these are repeated incidents. So, you, you know, yes, I know, like I'm not sure if you heard this part, but I know he went off the fair pole uh, in, game, in the game yesterday, and he had a, a nice base hit with men on today in game one. Uh-oh. Oh, did we lose Rich again? Oh, no. Well, I I did want to point out that um, if you remember, Syndergaard didn't want to pitch to Ramos last year. And we thought it was Syndergaard, you know, being like bratty, like a prima donna. And it was like... He wasn't the only one. He wasn't. And this is... uh, Yeah, I, I I don't really know. Like, we kind of... And this is another thing that we kind of get gaslit on. Rich brought it up earlier about, you know, that we, we've taken these flyers on Waka and Porcello, back ourselves into these, these corners with these retreads and these reclamation projects. Like, I, I mean, I guess you could kind of argue that they're low risk, high reward, but they could be low well, risk, no reward, you know? We, we know. We know their MO. We know how they operate, and we know who to point fingers at. Rich, you with us again? Yeah, can you hear me? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So, yeah, sorry about that. I don't know what's happening, but sorry about that. But, you know, my thoughts on the Subway Series, that really is what it is. You know, I'm picking on Ramos a lot, but but he has been pretty terrible. You know, and and I don't know where you guys left off, but the thing about the – I wanted to make a comment on game one today, which basically is for as long as I've been watching baseball, if you told me that a team was going to be down, any team against anybody, seven to two, five runs, five runs down with a man on first and two outs in the bottom of the last inning, and somehow the team with the lead would lose that game. Think about that. That's unfathomable, okay? If the 27 Yankees were playing the 62 Mets, the odds of that happening are probably less than a percent. Think about what you watched today. Just let, the, let that sink in, that there were two outs, one man on, and you had a five-run lead, 
and you lost the game. And you could say it's the Yankee magic and, and the Mets, the little brother, and all that kind of a thing. I, I don't know what it is, but all I know is that at this point, I'm looking for supernatural reasons why this shit's happening because that stuff just should not happen. And um, and so, you know, I, I'm, I'm trying to keep the perspective of this is a short season. We're lucky to have any sports at all, all that stuff. But you know what? I mean, I don't know. I'm at a loss because to me, trying to explain what we watched in game one, I think it transcends baseball logic. You know, like I was um, like I was telling Mike before we started the that they have that thing online where the odds of winning the game when the Yankees came to bat in the bottom of the seventh, I believe they had a one percent chance of winning that game. And when there were two outs, they had a zero percent chance, zero. And they won the game. Someone has to help me figure that out. I mean, is there something supernatural going on with this team in a bad way? I don't know. Help me. I don't know. Uh, maybe. <laughs> maybe flushing at one time was an ancient burial ground, which uh, I don't know. Uh, two things I want to bring up about today's game. Obviously, Edwin Diaz is one of them. What the hell are we going to do about that? But. Here's a, a very more interesting one because lately there's been a love affair with Andre, Andre Jimenez. He played a large part in that meltdown today. He didn't have a good day in the field defensively. On August 2nd, he was batting 357. After today, he's batting 254. So we're talking about a 100-point drop-off, give or take. So how are you feeling about Jimenez today? Um, I... It's it's really hard for for me to kind of kind of gauge that, and I'll be honest with you. I was actually I was working today. I had a few jobs to attend to, um, so I actually didn't see that meltdown. Okay, I was literally waiting at the bus stop, going through Twitter. I'm seeing everybody's reactions, and I was like, "Oh, two outs, game's almost over. I'll be home before the second game starts." By the time I got home, and I mean, we're talking ten minutes. Uh, you know, the whole entire meltdown happened. And, of course, I see Diaz, and I, I, I don't know if you guys have the post game on in the background. Diaz is is there right now. I just want to punch him in the fucking face. I can't stand him. Um, but, you know, when we're going back to Jimenez, I, didn't this guy have promise at the beginning of the season? Weren't we like, wow, like, you know, in a short season, this guy could be a rookie of the year candidate. But that's why I feel like we have to kind of look at this season in thirds. How, you know, it's kind of like what they say, it's like the marathon, not a sprint, blah, blah, blah. Well, it's kind of both. You know, it's kind of like, yeah, it's a marathon, but you need to kind of perform and perform at a high level. And Jimenez is just not doing that. I'm not really sure what, what's happening there. Um, maybe his, his time away kind of got into his head a little bit. Um, but I, I understand that he did. And when I was watching these plays, I was just like, God, like, I, I would have been infuriated if I actually had to watch this in real time. Having it explained to me later, I could kind of handle it because I knew the outcome already. But if I was, I would have been infuriated watching that. Um, is anybody really surprised that the Mets are kind of like, Touting the these these rookies, um, like they have like a good week, and it's like, hey, look at this guy! Like we're gonna forget that there's a bunch of shit going on in the back end, and now I, I'm kind of like, whatever. I, I 
I, I'm just kind of nonplussed with him right now. But I'm, I'm nonplussed about the rest of the team, too, with the exception of, like, Conforto and Tom Smith. You know what I mean? It's, I, I just find him to be just a, a non-issue. I, 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 God, I, I, I'm just – there's so much to process from game one today. And that's why, like, I'm kind of like, you know what? Rojas is in this shit, too. Like, Porcello – did not have a good start to the game. I think we can all agree on that. But he managed to level out, and that's kind of why you get someone like him. You know, he's got experience. He's, you know, like he can get himself out of jams. Like he's kind of like a, a bit more cerebral than some, you know, some of these guys in the bullpen that are just out there, you know, to face a couple of batters, whatever. Um, you know, they really should have ridden him. He, he, he was doing okay. And we wouldn't have even been in this fucking situation if, if Rojas had just stuck with him. You know, it's not like he had to worry about pinch hitting. It's not like he had to worry about doing a double switch. You know, we don't have to worry about that shit. We've got a DH. I, I'm just, I'm infuriated at the whole team right now. And I feel like Jimenez, eh, you know what? Like, to me, that's just kind of like, well, of course he's in that situation. He shouldn't have even been there to begin with. It's, it's just super frustrating to see all this happen. Of course, I'm, you know, Monday morning quarterbacking, so to speak, now. But that's that's kind of where where I am with him. I'm still having trouble deciding which loss was more ponderous and how we lost it. Whether it was the wild pitch on Saturday, uh, the meltdown in Game One today, or or the second game in Gary Sanchez's grand slam. Still trying to figure that out. But, Rich, go ahead. Round two, pick up with Jimenez. Where are you feeling on him? Rich, going once. Is it still – you guys can't hear me? Oh, we can hear you. I got you. We got you. I don't know what's happening here. I'm sorry. Um, with Jimenez, you know, I – I really like him, and I think he has a, obviously has a very bright future. What you saw today is something he has to learn from. The ground at the bottom of the seventh was one where – remember when Rosario did that when he first came up? It was a game against the Marlins. I, I don't forget who hit it. It was a fast runner, and he double-clutched. He had the ball in his glove, and he just kind of like – he double-pumped, and then he kind of nonchalanted it. The guy beat it. We thought that would be a learning moment for, moment for him. Well, it was a painful moment for Jimenez. I think we lost him again, Coop. You know what? You oh, brought no. up a good point. What? Hey, we, we lost Rich. <laughs> yeah, we lost him again. But um, you brought up a good point. Oh, oh wait, Rich, there, there, there he you is. Are. Maybe not. <laughs> anyway, I was going to say, you brought up a good point before about, you know, featuring prospects and featuring rookies. Let's start putting our general manager's cap on. And what do we do? We need we, we, we have a problem with catcher. We've already established that. Right. And apparently Christian Vasquez from the Red Sox is on the market. Uh, Heimblum is the new general manager of the Red Sox. So, you know, you're not going to pull one over on him. My question right. is, do you waste your time and try to acquire this catcher who's 30 years old what I like about him is he throws out base runners at a 40% clip. Uh, to me, that's one of your primary functions, and he does that very well. But I would question 
do you hold off and make a real, viable, genuine bid for JT Real Muto in the offseason? Hmm. I, I actually, I really like Real Muto. Um, I, I think that he he would be he would be pretty easy to lure, especially uh, like you said, we're putting our general manager's cap on. We'll hopefully have new ownership that's willing to spend money to make a big splash. I, I think that that would that would be smart. I mean, as far as ma- making a trade, um, if that that's what you're you're suggesting, like right now, you know what? Honestly, I'm kind of just like the guys that we got, man, because we've got you know twenty something games left to play. Um, you know, it's a short, like I said, it's a short season. Um, the NL East is still pretty competitive. Um, you know, I saw some people rationalizing it. Well, yeah, you know, it would have been cool to beat the Yankees, but like, Hey, uh, we're still in the thick of the NL East race. I'm like, I I guess you have a point. (laughs) Um, so that, that's kind of where, where I am with, you know, making, uh, a trade, you know, whether it's it's now or later, I would just prefer to just kind of stick with what we have. It's just it's such a fucked up season to begin with. I mean, do we really want to change landscapes right now? I don't. I don't think so. Um, that that's just kind of my take on it. Hey, Rich, you with us? Rich, been on the dashboard, <laughs> but apparently he's still having problems. <laughs> Boo. Rich. Um, Oh, now he dropped up again. He's having some real serious issues out in Connecticut. Uh, let me see. Any last issues, outstanding issues, comments, rude remarks, or otherwise about the Subway Series? Anything else about the Subway Series? Well, <laughs> I feel like this is uh, this year has continued my tradition of not going to the Subway Series. Um I have not attended a Subway Series in the City Field era at City Field. I've gone to a few at Yankee Stadium. I just feel like it brings out the worst in both fan bases, specifically at City Field. It's a much more um, pleasant experience in the Bronx. Um, but I, I'm kind of, I'm like, if I had gone this year, <laughs> I would have been really disappointed. Um, but again, like you can't really even look at this like a normal season. So um, I'm kind of just taking it like they're showing the Annalise standings right now. The Mets are four games out after today's loss. I, I just, you know, if they go on a winning streak, are we going to forget about these losses? Probably. Somehow, some way, they still have the second most wins in their division. Don't ask me how. It doesn't. Uh, yeah. it sure doesn't seem that way. <laughs> it sure doesn't seem that way. Yeah. Uh, baseball has an issue. Fans have an issue, and that's going to be with the seven-inning game. Uh, by all indications, it looks like baseball is try- trying to jam that down our throats. And I think it's a general, a generational thing. As, as insofar as uh, I am 53, the thought of a seven-inning game from here on out makes me break out in the rash. Uh, baseball 
you know, they've said historically the baseball fan base is, what, the 55, the majority of the fan base is the 55 and over through, something to that effect. And now mm. the majority of the fans that they're losing are indeed that same demographic. See, now, if, you know, when when we were kids, Coop, say, go back to when you were eight and nine or even seven, we didn't care. We didn't give a rat's ass who owned the team. First of all, second of all, we didn't care if they were good or bad. When you're that age, you're just impressionable, and these people automatically become heroes, or at least the better ones do, or the more popular ones do. You know, so when you're that age, when you're a single-digit midget, or even a, a preteen, uh, you know, you latch on, and it is what it is. It's like being born born into the uh, age of the internet. It's all you know, but if you're older, you know differently. Uh, mm-hmm. So, me personally, the thought of a seven inning game. I, this is this was a major topic for Rich. I have Sam's uh, feeling on this as well. Uh, but let's start here. You know, contemplate the future where baseball turns into a seven inning game. How do you feel about that? Well, if this is going to be, if there's a potential to have a, a seven inning game. Um, or and or universal DH and or starting extra innings with a runner on second and this is Rob Manfred's legacy it's going to be really difficult for me to be a baseball fan I have to be honest with you and maybe maybe I am old maybe I am a curmudgeon maybe it's you know I, I am old fashioned and I need to switch my thinking, but there's a lot of things about quote unquote new baseball that, you know, I, I really enjoy, you know, I enjoy saber, saber metrics. I, I don't know how to calculate any of it, but I find that when somebody does it for me and I can look at comparables, I'm like, Hey, that's kind of cool. Um, you know, I kind of like our social media and interacting, you know, with players and our teams and, and, and things of that nature. Like I'm cool with that. But changing the fucking game, that's just, no, I'm sorry, just no. Um, you know, and I, I wasn't alive for when the designated hitter was introduced. But one of the things that I could kind of hang my hat on being a fan of a National League team is that pitchers weren't able to hide behind their defense. They had a bat themselves. And, I mean, I'm sure, you know, for every t- person that says that, like I just did, you're going to have somebody that is going to argue, you know, well, you know, that's like an automatic out and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, having a DH isn't a bad thing, but, you know, it's it's not exactly helping the Mets either. So I don't know. Um, you know, I kind of like the way National League would kind of, you know, they, they have that tactical stuff that you really need to think and you need to kind of outsmart the other guy. And I, I think that's really cool, but having a seven inning game, like why don't you just make the world series and like a Super Bowl spectacle, one game playoff. I, I just, I, I think it's, it's just one of those things that it, every time they try to say, well, baseball's boring. Well, it is kind of a smart person's sport. So, yeah, I could see why it might be boring to some people. <laughs> um, but, you know, whatever. I, I guess I'm a smart person in, in that respect. Um, 
but we've had so many changes over the years, like uh, mound visit limits and pitching change limits and timing and blah, blah, blah. And it hasn't done shit to shorten the game. Um, we thought instant replay was going to take away from the game, from the, the sanctity of the game. And it didn't, it actually added more and it didn't really impact the timing of the game. Like, is that what the problem is? Like, you know, well, we're spending way too much time at a, at a baseball game. Like think about how many things have been added to a baseball game. Like when you go to a baseball game these days, and I don't want to say back in my day, we used to, uh, go to a baseball game, eat one hot dog, and we never got up from our seats. And now you go to City Field, and there's, like, all this interaction, and, you know, the baseball game is almost like a backdrop to a social event. And you've got all this other stuff going on, like, different between a game today. And maybe you can shed some light on it, Mike, Um, and if Rich is back on here. Um, if you were attending games in the 70s and even the early 80s, I became a fan in 83, and I didn't start going to games until 1984, like what – we can probably name like five or six things off the top of our heads that they do in games today that they never did in, in you know, the 70s and 80s. You know what I mean? Like if we want to think about what's taken – you know, what's added more stuff and added more time to a game and whatever, it's – it's a lot more than just the inning. You know what I mean? It's just like a seven-inning game. We, we saw that today. Shit. <laughs> a seven-inning game was just as painful as a nine-inning game. And then they yeah. went to extras. It was just eight innings. <laughs> uh, part of it is the game's fault. Part of it can be corrected. I remember the DH. I remember when teams transitioned from four-man rotations to five-man rotations. Uh, I remember Tony LaRusso's impact on the game and specialization and the one-inning closer. Uh, He didn't start that in Oakland with Dennis Eckers' league. He started that in Chicago with Bobby Thigpen. So all these things factor, but the, the, the number one overall factor, I think, I believe, if you watch old games, uh, if you watch, pick an old game on YouTube and watch it. I remember games from the 70s. Uh, when the pitcher received the ball back from the catcher, he was on the mound and ready to pitch. And the batter was in the box, ready to hit. And the time in between pitches now is an eternity compared to what it used to be. Uh And there's really no reason for it. The sequence of signs and the process of delivering signs between pitcher and catcher really hasn't changed much. You know, so there's a lot, you know, they take their liberties and and they just drag the game on. Uh, But just like regular TV, when you watch a half-hour show, you're only watching 22 minutes. The other eight minutes to commercials. So the owners want their commercials as well. They want their revenue. So, you know, they're more than happy to say one thing but do another. That That's a lot of double talk to me. Uh, mm-hmm. But the biggest thing is pitchers just need to be ready to pitch and 
batters just need to be ready to swing, stay in the box, and they could just stay on the mound and let everyone be ready, a fluidity to the game, a pace. You know, uh, those pitches are rare, but when two of them combine in one game, these games take two hours and ten minutes. And that was what, what that, that used to happen with regularity back in the day. But let us not discount TV's effect on the game. And the owners, you know, like I say, they double speak. They say one thing, but they do another. Uh, but I'm against, you see, I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm self-admittedly old school. I, I, I like the neighborhood play, and I'm against these rules against, you know, blocking the plate and the, and the play at second base and, and putting a runner. I'm, I'm against all of it. I'm against all of it. I think athleticism is an, an all-time high. These athletes are incredible. They're in incredible shape, and they're capable of incredible things physically. But if you ask me, I'm sorry. Acumen and craftsmanship in all sports, not just baseball, are at an all-time low. But unless you've experienced the games over generations, you're not going to recognize it. So if you're in your teens or in your early 20s, that's all you know. But if you're creeping up there like I am now in my 53, and you remember a guy like Ken Stabler from the 70s, and you can compare him to everybody on through history up until and through Tom Brady, you know, there's a, a much larger and different perspective there. And all these opinions are going to clash. And as they say in Marketing 101, as you you as well, they already got us. We're already brand loyal. They care about the young generation and hooking them and making sure they don't go to the enemy or root for some other team, you know? So uh, contrived legislation is what, they, is what I call it. All of this right. is contrived legislation upon the game, and they're ruining it. I'm sorry. Strikeouts and home runs are boring. Boring. <laughs> and this is part of Rich's point. He's actually a proponent of seven-inning games because the game is so damn boring. I can't, I, I, I can't give you in detail what his opinion is, but he did mention that he is in favor of seven-inning seven games because the game is so boring. You know, and, and they've led analytics and, and becoming so robotic and, you know, they, they've turned the life of baseball into Metropolis, that old movie. Uh, it's so mechanical that, you know, you don't have runners going from first to third or you triple to right, you know, or bunting a runner over, having to sacrifice, moving into third and scoring on a fly ball. Or, you know, the craftsmanship on a mound where he pitches a shutout nine innings, this, that, and the other. What are you going to have, uh, a seven-inning no-hitter now, a seven-inning uh, perfect game? Yeah. I, 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 yeah. I just don't understand. I, I don't, I yeah, don't I, understand. I'm, I'm, oh, no, I, I, I'm with I'm, yeah, I'm I'm with you there, Mike. Um, you know, you you brought up a lot of a lot of great points, and I, I'm I'm with you, but I I just keep going back to Manfred, right? Because um, during this whole you know pandemic and everything, you know, I've been doing a lot of training uh, as I'm a manager at my company, so I've been doing like a lot of crisis management, doing a lot of you know just like managing people during a crisis and things of that nature. 
And typically what will happen is you have somebody in a leadership role and they're new and they really want to make their mark. They're going to do one of two things. They're going to make so many changes across the board that you're going to really dislike that person. You know, if you're somebody there, you know, you've been, you know, and whether it's, it's an MLB or it's an organization like that, or it's some kind of global company or just a small mom and pop shop that's got a couple franchises around. If you have somebody that's new and they really want to make their mark, they're going to be like, well, we need to change this, this, and this. And you're like, whoa, like, you know, we've done that in the past. You're going to, you might have some pushback, but that person in the leadership role is going to be like, well, it's my way or the highway. Or you have, you know, somebody who's a, a good leader is going to listen to the people around them. It's going to be like, okay, what are some pitfalls here? Where, where are some challenges? Where can we learn? Blah, blah, blah. And you have somebody that's going to make small incremental changes. You can kind of, you know, live with that. But I feel like in a 60 game season, Manfred is going to be incredibly opportunistic to make just these broad changes across the board. And it's really not going to be fun, especially for the national league fans. Because, you know, we're dealing with universal DH, which we can kind of sort of justify, you know, with interleague. We're, we're, seeing, we're seeing that a couple games a year. We see it during the play, you know, if you have a team in the World Series. And we also see it in, in the All-Star games, you know. If the, if, and I, I guess in a way they sort of like getting our feet wet seeing that. But I, I'm like, okay, so I'm kind of, preparing myself for 2021 being a universal DH and I'm not happy about it, but I can accept it. Seven innings is just unacceptable to me. That's not baseball. Yeah. To your point, the DH, you see when it came into baseball, I was young. So I accepted it. American league had the DH and the national league didn't. It was fine. I was too young to get into the minutia over the argument, you know, and how people really felt about it. I was just a kid who loved baseball. So it was never an issue for me, and I lived like that all my life. So the same, I think, goes or holds true today for the the, the young baseball fan, that whatever they do today is the condition he's going to be growing into. So it's not going to matter to them as it would to perhaps my generation. That's what they call life and the change of life and the cycle of life, you know, and you either accept it or you don't, and if you don't, you're resistive, and you might find, you know, uh, a difficult way through it. And if you're okay, I mean, I've always been accepting of change in baseball, you know, but this guy, like you say, he's just making sweeping changes, and... I don't like the way he's handling it. Sorry. Uh, what do you say, you and I, jump into the time machine, talk about just okay. a couple of players who have worn number 64 in Mets history. The list is not long. There's only five of them here. Right. Uh, so let's go with the most recent one. I'll name them for the listening audience. You're listening to a Metsian podcast, by the way, uh, formerly with Sam and Rich. I say that jokingly. We've had technical difficulties this <laughs> evening. But we are joined by our friend, Taryn Cooper, a.k.a. The Coop. And I thank you for joining us this evening. Uh, so on this list, we have Chris Flexen, Akil Morris, 
Josh Stinson, Elmer Descends, and Bill Latham. It's funny how when you get into the 60s, they usually wind up being coaches and fishers. So uh, where would you like to pick up? Would you like to pick up with Chris Flexen? Um, well, you know, I was I was cheating before um, with the number sixty four, and I, I was actually surprised if you if you go to the uh, the Ultimate Mets database under Mets by the numbers, um, kind of shocked that all the number sixty fours have happened in the City Field era. Um, I thought that was kind of cool, um, but you know, I'm kind of going to go um, with the first one and the last one. Uh, Elmer Descends and Chris Flexen, uh, so that you know the earliest one and the most recent one. And it was funny because when I was looking at their at their names, I was like, oh gosh, like I didn't get really cringy, but I, I felt like Descends was cringier than Flexen. <laughs> but when I looked at Flexen's numbers, I was like, oh my god, he was terrible, <laughs> and I kind of forgot, um, you know, that he wasn't effective and descends wasn't that bad and if you think about from you know he was he wore 64 from 2009 to 2010 right and those were not good years for the Mets but he wasn't terrible um so I I I was just kind of you know how my mind is just playing tricks on me but I I guess like a lot of it it hasn't really been easy being a Mets fan in the city field era you know since 2009 um, I, I feel like there have been there. I can't even say I feel like there absolutely have been more down years than good years. And I am, um, I, I am including 2019 in that good year um, portion. But for the most part, I'm just like, I mean, 64. It's you know, it, it's a nondescript number, and it hasn't been worn by many players. And those two is just kind of like. I really thought one was worse than the other, but one was considerably worse than the other, and it wasn't the one I thought. So that's where I am. I will speak for Bill Latham. And he's important to me for this particular reason. Uh, 1985 was the year I left for the service. And, you know, he was part of the team very briefly. He only appeared in seven games, but I remember him. And he got captured in that snapshot in time. The 85 team was the last live team that I saw before leaving for the service. I wasn't here in 80, I wasn't here in 86. I was overseas. I was overseas in 88. And for all those years I spent, the dark years at Chase Stadium, you know, to be a kid, single-digit midget in the 70s and whatnot, I was 19 when they won the World Series, but I had already left. Uh, and it's kind of ponderous that they would win when I'm not here. But he got captured in that snapshot of the 1985 team, and that's why I'll always remember him. Uh, you know, there's, there's a couple of years in Mets history that no matter how many games you played, if you were on that team, I'll remember you. Some years I don't remember anybody because <laughs> they probably just know <laughs> that much. So. Yeah. <laughs> so I'll, I'll <laughs> But, uh, but that's what I'll say for Bill Latham. He got captured in that snapshot, and I'll always remember for his one and only season with the Mets in 1985. So uh, props to him. Uh, unless you have any outstanding issues, comments, or rude remarks, I do not. 
we'll move on to our final word, Coop. Um, I don't really have much else to say. I mean, this has been a, a great therapy session. Uh, thank you for having me on the show. Um, and I, I hope that we, we do this sooner rather than later. It's been great having you back on. It's been too long. Uh, before we go, on, on Sam's behalf, getting back to the seven-inning game issue, uh, like I said, Rich is a proponent, but I'll let him explain himself uh, in, in a future podcast. Rich, uh, excuse me, Sam, he made it clear to me that he's against it, but it's certainly not going to stop him or drive him away from the game and prevent him from watching it or hinder him from watching it. Uh, he'll just deal with it. Me? In the same way, I'm not going to stop watching it, but I'm just not watching with the same passion that I used to have at a at a, at a different age and a different point in the game's history, you know. So uh, that being said, let us uh, let us move on to our final word. Cool. Thank you so much again for coming on and joining us. Unfortunately, we had problems, technical difficulties with Rich. Sam was busy. Uh, he's always on the road, and tonight he obviously got hooked up. Uh, you know, caught up, but uh, it's been such a pleasure talking with you again. It's been, again, I can't say it enough. It's been too long. Can't wait to have you on again. Terry Cooper, thank you very kindly. Your final word. Uh, let's go Mets, question mark. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's, still, there's still some ba- baseball to be played, so, uh, and, uh, you know, we've got a DeGrom start coming up, so there, there's got to be some silver lining out there somewhere I'm just not sure but I think in the grand scheme of things 2020 has just been a wash of a year let's just make make the most of what we have and even if it's bad baseball I guess it's better than no baseball at all I'm with you I will say time is of the essence and by that I I do mean this the ownership and, and the sale of this team time is of the essence uh we need the change it's 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 overdue. Let's get this done. This way we can organization functioning, hopefully, in a more effective manner. Otherwise, I bid safety, calm, and peace to everyone listening. Thank you for your time. Uh, I know we uh, we overlapped the Mets game somewhat, but if uh, you tuned right in, thank you. I appreciate it. And on behalf of Sam and Rich, my co-partners in Podcast Crime, I thank you very kindly to listening to this episode of a Metsian podcast. Coop, I bid you good night and safety as well. Thank you again and good night, everyone. Night. <laughs> good night, all. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.